An Adamair flight is going from Surabaya to Manado when they disappear off of radar. What caused this flight to crash in the Makassar Strait? Welcome back to the Heart Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. And I'm dying. <laughs> Pain. Pain. I also love the fact that before we start, during that little moment of silence, both y'all like pause and wait for me. <laughs> but you don't even look up. You just stay like right there at your cross stitch. In my defense, for me. I didn't know where I was. Right now I'm doing the confetti stitch bullshit. So I'm like, actually, where am I? Where am I going? Where did I stitch last? Anyways. I have a new cross stitch. Yes, because the other one was finished on the, the last other episode. One finished. You should post yeah. your finished one on the Patreon. Well, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. If I remember. Yeah. Do it right now. <laughs> I want to do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you just got settled I'll in. I'll do it during the post episode. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, so not much to report since we recorded last because that was only a couple days ago. Yep. Yeah. We are getting ready for vacation and we're recording in advance. Yes. So if anything's happened in the time frame when we were supposed to record but didn't and I, I don't know uh sorry yeah Question mark yeah we did get a new patron oh did we you? did pretty sure we did since monday yes or sunday yes what day is it it's it's wednesday 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 welcome to joey joey thanks joey i think an annual patron yes Steve. yes yes i remember now yes so we did get that that is the one thing that has happened since sunday and that's it. Good and this job is your uh, weekly reminder to check out all the stuffy stuffs. Yes. And Newsletter. If, if you do what Joey did, and many other people do, if you sign up for an annual membership, you get 10% off. Yep. Yeah. So that's Which also thing. gets you 10% off on other things. Yes. Like merch. Well. Well, not for him. But Not for him. <laughs> not for him. But on certain plans. It will. So. The, there's a, a now a tab on the website where you can look up the last the previous newsletters. Not all of them, because I was like, why would I put a newsletter from two years ago on there? <laughs> but some of them. But like the last four, including the one for this month, October. So if you would like to look at that without subscribing to it yet, you can go on the website and look. If you don't subscribe to it and you like, or you put it in like at in the middle of the month, and you want to read this month's newsletter, now they're on the website. So yeah, go ahead and uh, do the clicky-click and get that. Nothing like doing the clicky-click. And you should also like look at the merch page and, and uh, become a patron. Yeah. So All the normal things. All the normal things. Uh, we will do, uh, eventually, when we actually have time to catch up, we will do listener stories. Yeah. Uh, we, we have um, way more than enough right now, actually. Yes. And we do appreciate if you still want to send them in. Yes, please we do. Please continue to send them. Please continue Just, to send um, them. Just realize that we're like running really late on those. Uh, we have like 30 of them. Oh. That aren't currently on the one that's already ready. So we have like three worth so. right now. And a lot of them are actually from new people, which is appreciated too. Although there's several still from David. Yeah, there's still quite a few from the Ed regulars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from the regulars. Maybe one or two from Spock. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. We appreciate you. And your Spock. Your Spock. The stories are good, and I appreciate them always. Okay, that's the end of uh, some housekeeping. So what are we covering today, Nick? 
Today, we are covering Adam Air Flight 574. Thanks to... Thank you to Danielle for recommending this. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks, Danielle. I don't know if this is Danielle. Patron Danielle? Like Danny? I don't know if that's... It says Danielle. It does. That's what I got. But I don't know if it was before. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, boo. If if it's our patron, thank you. If it's not, thank you. (laughs) The Danielle that recommended this. Yep. Thank you very much. This is also known as Adam Sky Connection Airlines Flight 574. Okay. We'll talk about that later on. (laughs) Did they die? Like the the airline? Uh, More than likely. Let me put it this way. Not a good track record. Oh, well. If you realize you don't recognize the name, that's probably because it's not a good airline. They gone. Yeah, they probably should be. Mm-hmm. They went poof. They, yep. They went poofy poofs. And it's crazy to have such a simple name like Adam Air. It's quite literally Adam Air. Adam. 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 I knew that would happen yes. in this episode. <laughs> right side of the globe, but yes. not yes. that country. This is from Indonesia. It's an Indonesian airline. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was an Indonesian airline flying a 737. Uh-oh, to all the SpaghettiOs. <laughs> this is not usually a good combination. No. Although I shouldn't say that because... Uh, it's not a good combination in, in the Y2K era. No, no, it's not. Anyways, this accident occurred on New Year's Day of oh, 2007. No. That's a horrible <laughs> way to be like, happy 2007, yeah. you're gonna die today. Yeah, January 1st of 2007. Yeah. That's when this happened. This is a Boeing 737-400. Also not a good combination. Not that exact (laughs) airplane has not had a good history in Indonesia. There's been a lot of them in Indonesia because 737-400s were very, very popular. They were high-density aircraft that were pretty easy to procure during the early 2000s when everybody else was switching to the NGs, like the 737-800, which had a similar capacity. So Indonesian airlines could get them for pretty cheap, and they did. And they used them a lot. I can actually probably find out who they bought this aircraft from. from. I read at some point, but I don't remember. It's probably in the report. Okay, well, now I gotta know, so give me a minute. Okay. Anyways, the 737-400 was arguably, well, it wasn't the most popular, but it was one of the more popular models of the classic series 737s. So it was prior to the NG series, but was the highest capacity version of the 737 prior to the NG series. This aircraft was purchased and re-registered. It was purchased from JAT Airways. Yeah, JAT. JAT. JAT, yep. They they were around for a long time. They purchased it seven months prior from Air One, who purchased it, hold on, they did the month, month, day-to-day thing different. So they bought it from JAT Airways, in 2005, mm-hmm. Jet Airways bought it from Air One in December 2002, who bought it nine months prior from WFBN, who bought it a month prior from National Jets Italy, who bought it a year prior from GB Airways, who bought it six years prior from British Airways, who bought it from Dan Air. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the airplane had quite some history. Most of that history, actually. So you talk about Dan Air, you talk about... British Airways, okay, bigger airlines that owned it early on in its lifetime. And then later on in its lifetime, basically it was bouncing between leasing companies and airlines that didn't really actually have operations. (laughs) 
until it finally ended up in the hands of Adamair. Who crashed it. Unfortunately. So anyways, this one had the tail number Papa Kilo-Kilo-Kilo Whiskey. This was a flight from Surabaya in Indonesia. That sounds familiar. Yep, that's a popular one. We have talked about this one very recently, like last episode. To Manado, also in Indonesia, on a different island. The captain for this flight was Referee Augustin Widodo. I I don't know. I'm I'm gonna try my best here. I okay. really I don't know. He was 47 years old at the time. He had 13,300 hours total, of which 3,800 were on the 737. So I would call that pretty middle ground airline pilot. Yep. Pretty middle ground captain. The first officer was Yoga Sosanto. He had 4,200 hours total, of which 1,000 were on the 737, so also experienced. I wouldn't call that inexperienced. The flight was to have 96 passengers and 6 crew. The flight departed Surabaya at 1.59 p.m. local time, so it was an afternoon flight. The flight was scheduled to arrive at Manado at 4.14 p.m., which was makes it a flight time of 2 hours and 15 minutes. The captain was the pilot flying, and the first officer was the pilot monitoring for this flight. After takeoff, the flight was instructed to fly direct to the Foxtrot Alpha November Delta Oscar waypoint and climb to flight level 330, or 33,000 feet. This gets a little confusing. (laughs) But anyways, they're told to fly direct to one of the waypoints, Fando. 2.05 p.m. local time, the flight was at 13,000 feet, and were instructed to change frequencies to a Surabaya area controller on 125.1. That is the frequency. 2.08 p.m., after making initial contact with the area controller, the flight was instructed to make an, quote, initial climb to flight level 190, not radar contact, end quote. So there's just no radar contact Apparently. This part was unclear. But being told to climb to 19,000 feet initially. Now, here's the weird part. The first officer responded to this call, saying, quote, Adam Air 574, maintain heading, climb flight level 350. What? Yeah. It was supposed to be 330, right? Or did I Originally, that? yes. Yes, that's what they had okay. agreed on. And then now they're saying 350, so that must be what's on their flight plan, is my assumption. Okay. And they're saying that they're maintaining their heading, even though this controller just told them to climb to 190, but they were already cleared to 330. Yeah. So it's it's this all gets a little confusing. The air traffic controller then stated, Adam 574, sorry, initial climb to flight level 330. And the first officer confirmed the instruction. Okay. Okay. All that to say, they're climbing to 33,000 feet as their initial. Yes. Technically. 2.10 p.m., the flight was transferred control again to Ujung Pudong control on 128.3 is the frequency. The first officer confirmed this, acknowledged, and then the flight made initial contact with Ujun Control as the flight was passing flight level 220 or 22,000 feet. 2.14 p.m., the flight was nearing the next reporting point of Castle or Kila Alpha Sierra Oscar Lima when the air traffic controller instructed the flight to change directions and fly direct to Diola or Delta India Oscar Lima Alpha. Okay. And the first officer acknowledged. So they were getting close to one of their next reporting points when the air traffic controller told him, bypass that, change heading, and now fly. Just direct to... Direct to this other waypoint instead. Okay. 
2.19 p.m., the first officer informed the air traffic controller that they were reaching flight level 350. You were still only cleared to 330. That said, the air traffic controller then instructed the flight to maintain flight level 350. Whatever. And, quote, report... That was probably their, yeah. their thought, too. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, quote, report a beam N-dog, which is spelled Another. almost exactly like that. <laughs> exactly like it sounds. Echo November Delta Oscar Golf. And the first officer acknowledged. 2.37 p.m., 16.9 seconds. The flight was instructed to change frequencies, and they acknowledged and did so. So they changed to yet another frequency, common in the airlines. 2.42 p.m. and 50.5 seconds, the air traffic controller asked the flight what their heading was direct to Diola. The crew then informed the air traffic controller that they were flying a heading of 046 degrees with a crosswind of 74 knots Ooh. from the left. So they were turned into the wind, flying sideways through it. Because 74 knots is pretty heavy when you're... That's very heavy. ...at speed. 2.54 p.m. and 8.3 seconds. Your traffic controller instructed the flight to fly a heading of 070 for tracking to Diola. So basically, now telling them, please actually fly the heading to Diola, not the offset heading. Yeah. About eight seconds later, the air traffic controller then repeated himself, saying, fly heading 070. It took a whole another 15-ish seconds before the first officer finally responded to the air traffic controller, acknowledging the, instru the instructions. 2.55 p.m. and 58 seconds, so about a minute and a half later, the captain asked the first officer to speak with the air traffic controller about their position, and the first officer then asked the air traffic controller to confirm their radar position. The air traffic controller informed the flight, quote, position is... 125 miles, Mike Kilo Sierra, crossing radio 307, Mike Kilo Sierra, end quote. So they're 125 miles from this, I don't know if it's an NDB or a VOR, but from the MKS point, right. which I assume is on land, and they are not over land, by the way, they're over water, because Indonesia and islands. The first officer then replied, quote, okay, that's confirmed, Adam 574, end quote. So acknowledging where they were at. 2.58 p.m., the secondary radar return for the flight stopped being received by the air traffic controller, which was only a few minutes after this little conversation they had. All of a sudden, radar point for the aircraft. Poof. Technically poof, although it actually continued, but it changed heading all of a sudden, which was a sign that the secondary radar had gone, and now it was only using primary. Right. The air traffic controller changed shifts one minute after this happened, and... Seemingly, nothing was really noticed. The new air traffic controller on command tried to contact the flight 10 minutes later, but did not receive any response. We can assume that this was happening because there was probably still a flight strip for the airplane as being in their control, but they suddenly noticed there was no airplane on the radar at this point. Because yeah. 10 minutes after it changed heading, we have to assume that now it's not showing anymore. Right. Something weird is happening. The air traffic controller and other aircraft in the area attempted to contact the flight, but finding none. They didn't hear anything. They received nothing from the airplane. Probably means that it crashed. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. After checking nearby airports for diverted aircraft, they also found none there. The air traffic controller initiated the missing aircraft protocols, and search and rescue was notified. A long search process ensued, and probably two-thirds of the whole Wikipedia page is about the many entities and the many days and the many different events that happened while they were searching for this aircraft. 
it basically disappeared. Poof. For a period of time, nobody had any idea where this thing was. But it didn't. But it didn't. What about the emergency? I mean, the emergency beacon, I guess, it doesn't trigger unless it's underwater. Which it was, and they did find it eventually. Oh, okay. I was going to say, what about the emergency beacon? It was not completely gone. However. When did they find that? I think it was like three weeks later. Okay, that's also when my stuff was found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much everything was found like three weeks after the accident. Why did it take them so long? Deep waters, they weren't entirely sure exactly where it was, and we'll talk about why, but weird things are happening. This search was assisted by Singapore, the U.S. Navy, Canada, of course, Indonesia. Nothing brings the world together like tragedy, unfortunately. Unfortunately. And missing airplanes. Let me tell you. Yeah. MH370 had, like, everybody involved. And anybody who had a boat. There's still people looking for it. Yeah, any country that had a boat registered in its name pretty much has helped visit and look for MH370. Yeah. A week after the plane had disappeared from radar over water, some metal debris was found floating in the water, but no signs of the aircraft. I think they said they found eight pieces of aluminum, not very substantial in size, and a few little doodads, including one ID, apparently. Doodad. Well, it turns out plastic floats. Yes. But it really was not much. It was found, I think, by some fishermen. There wasn't much found during that week, and so they couldn't really assume much more other than if it's from the airplane, the little pieces of metal that they found showed that the airplane was very destroyed on impact. Is that what you got? No. Oh. Eventually, some debris was spotted with special equipment on the seafloor around three weeks after the aircraft disappeared, and search efforts were able to locate some of the wreckage, which was very deep and in strong currents. Recovery efforts were mostly prevented, and the wreckage was partially pulled from the water, but much of it never was. Right. All on board were assumed perished from a heavy impact with water at very high speed. I mean, even if if they weren't, they were left out there to die. So in the report, they're actually listed as missing. Missing, because there's no confirmed bodies? Right. So they don't know the status of the people when they're missing, but we can assume. But they're probably dead. The worst. Yeah. Uh, from all indications they had from the little bits of wreckage that they did find, the airplane hit at a very, very, very high rate of speed. We talk in stall territory kind of speed? Stall would be almost too slow. This was very high rate of speed. We'll talk about it. Okay. And that's all I got. Okay. This is not a fun one, guys. No, it's not. This investigation was performed by the National Transportation Safety Committee or the NTSC, a.k.a. the KNKT, which is what they prefer to be known as now, mm-hmm. which is the abbreviation in Indonesian. I don't know. Remember what it was? I couldn't pronounce it anyway. They were assisted by the NTSB, the FAA, Boeing, Atomair, and a slew of other agencies and companies, as you do. Most of the time, I don't get a nice list like that. We just have to assume that there were other entities helping. So, ta-da, list. Both black boxes were recovered from the ocean after being found by the U.S. Navy Oceanographic... Research vessel, Mary Sears, the USNS Mary Sears. Yeah, that. Three weeks after the accident at a depth of 1,900 meters. So. Pretty deep. 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 The two black boxes were found about 1.4 kilometers apart. Wow. Currents were strong. I did state that they were hefty. This was a very straightforward and to the point analysis amounting to just six pages and really could have used some subheaders, guys. Yeah, it was all just kind of a... This was not ADHD friendly. It was just a blob of words. 
There, there were clear subsections you could have put in there. No, you just did. Ugh. They did with section one, which is the funny part. Freaking rude. Section one has like a dot eleven dot eight dot seven dot eight. Like <laughs> I, that would have been nice. But they didn't do that with the analysis. So they didn't provide much narration as to how each conclusion was approached and just dove right in. So did the plane. So apologies, but that is also what I will be doing. No one react to that. It's fine. That's okay. Pilots of the accident aircraft had reported recurring problems with the inertial reference system, or IRS, not the kind that takes your money. (laughs) Most of the issues recorded were with the number one, or the left side, IRS. I would argue that. What specifically does the IRS do? Inertial reference system is what actually drives most of the navigational systems on the aircraft. Okay. So they didn't know where the they were going. Kind of. Great. Kind of. Yes. Okay. When I say there were recurring problems, maybe the more apt word would be rampant. And I would argue that Adam Air believes that this IRS takes your money. We'll talk about that later, Ron. There were 55 reports in October, 50 in November, and 49 in December. One might say that's why they believe that it takes money, because they never did anything about it. On this aircraft. Why didn't they just replace it? Maintenance actions primarily consisted of re-racking, swapping, contact cleaning, and relay replacement. They didn't want to spend the money to replace the actual unit. Found out later, did not write it later, that this was not the only aircraft in their fleet with these issues. Shocker. What? You didn't want to mechanically fix something because it costs money? However, that is not the cause of the accident. Nope. Nor should it be, actually. Well, it just it just serves as to help with the system that navigates right. you. So the way we've talked about inertial reference systems before, but what they do, how they work, just as a brief overview, the inertial reference system calibrates to satellites as well as local positioning off of different towers and things from the time the... <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. It's fine. It's initiated while the aircraft is at a standstill on the ground. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It then calibrates where the aircraft is and then uses inertia to, in real time, give a position about the aircraft. I remember us talking about this now. Because it's going to be much more accurate to use inertia data about the airplane to give the pilots a very, very real-time exact location of the aircraft versus using satellite data, which may be off by a few feet, and you'd rather have exact data at all times. So the... The IRS, or as it's known in other aircraft, INS, is this system. Okay. Continuing. On the day of the accident, the pilots experienced yet another anomaly. Investigators could not determine what maintenance steps were taken by the crew. During crews in the accident flight, the crew became preoccupied with the IRS and associated failures with the instruments, taking up to 28 minutes resolving the anomalies until ultimately switching the number two IRS to attitude. They were concerned that one of the inertial reference units had failed, and they attempted to identify the problem, but then were also concerned about the weather and their ability to navigate. They then took another 13 minutes identifying the problem and attempting corrective actions with minimal regard for other flight duties. I left a lot of stuff out, because it also wasn't in the story, by the way. It wasn't written into the story, but I knew all of this was happening because I read elsewhere. So that's a lot of time to spend diagnosing a problem and not paying attention to freaking anything else. Might be why they were like, yeah, we're going to 35. Uh-huh. No, 33. Y- 35. Yes. 33. Yeah. Now, he- <laughs> no, now I guess we're going to 35. Here's where things went awry. Mm-hmm. So they switched a thing. When they switched the number two IRS to attitude setting, the autopilot disengaged. This caused the roll indication, horizontal scale, pitch scale, and sky ground shading to disappear from the first officer's display, 
as well as removing the flight path angle acceleration pitch limit display and TCAS. Oh, the it. display. It pretty much removed the entire display. Everything was gone. Like <laughs> Prior to being shut off, the autopilot was holding a five degree left aileron to maintain wings level. You might recall there was a crosswind. crosswind. Yeah, very heavy crosswind. So the autopilot was keeping a five degree left aileron so that they were level. Right. Once removed, the aircraft began a slow roll to the right, which the crew seemed to have arrested several times, but they never did truly try to recover until they had reached a bank angle of 100 degrees. Oh my God. What? And a pitch of 60 degrees nose down. And then you wonder why they hit it such a high rate of speed. Now now I know. Now now it makes sense. It was not a stall. No. It was just stupidity. This was C-fit. At its finest. Well, it was not controlled flight. I will get into that briefly. Well, yeah. So the, why if the airplane should not have been out of no. control? Investigators determined definitely that the crew experienced spatial disorientation. No, really. Once the aircraft reached Mach point eight nine, ooh, which is overspeeding yeah. for the aircraft. The aircraft. The crew began to roll towards wings level as well as began pulling up in excess of two g's of force. They eventually reached three and a half G's as the airspeed reached Mach 0.926, which combined exceeded the limitations of the aircraft. The last recorded airspeed was 490 knots just before the end of recording, and the flight data recorder recorded an abrupt reversal of G's from three and a half positive to negative 2.8 G's. Boeing analyzed this FDR data and determined that the aircraft experienced a significant structural failure. Yep. Yeah. It, it broke up in flight. Do you talk about how they actually found that out? That's how I assume they found it out? Not just that. On the CVR, there was a thump, thump, and then the airplane fell apart. Oh, well. They also, they being Boeing, also determined via simulation that it would have been a recoverable scenario if done so using the 737 flight crew training manual, which provided the technique for upset recovery. Well, were they trained using the 737 flight crew training manual for upset recovery? Of course not. The answer was hidden in the depths of the analysis in a short two-sentence paragraph. Guys, headers, please? Please. Sorry. Quote, at the time of the accident involving Papa Kilo 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 Whiskey, Adam Air did not provide their pilots with aircraft upset recovery training, period. Correct. There was no evidence that either pilot had completed a course of training or been checked in a simulator for proficiency in aircraft upset recovery, including spatial disorientation and situational awareness, end quote. And unfortunately, no matter how experienced we make them sound, if you've never actually gone through that training and you end up in a situation you're just, where you're disoriented, you don't know what to do. unfortunately, you are. Did, weren't there warnings going off? Though? Oh, I'm sure there were. That was so perfectly timed. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, hold on. Shouldn't a million warnings have been yeah. going on? <laughs> where's, the, where's the bank angle? Bank angle? Bank angle? Well, overspeed. Overspeed. Before that. <laughs> What did they do? What was the thing that initiated oh, all of this? The beep 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 of the of the autopilot. Yeah, they shut off that warning. What? And never reactivated the autopilot because they never actually messed with the IRS properly. Once the aircraft exceeded 35 degrees bank to the right, the alarm bank angle bank angle went off, and there was no appropriate control action taken until they reached 100 degrees. Investigators stated that it was evident the pilots allowed their attention to be channelized and lost situational awareness and then became spatially disoriented. I have an interesting quote from the investigators. I didn't even have to bring this up myself. They did it for me. It was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Quote, the crew became distracted by troubleshooting the IRS malfunction to the detriment of safely operating the aircraft. 
They did not follow the quick reference handbook, which required that they maintain straight and level constant airspeed flight until attitude displays recover on the electronic attitude display instrument. The dangers of this fact have been highlighted in accidents such as the Eastern Airlines Lockheed L-1011 Miami, Florida on December 29, 1972, that crashed when the crew became preoccupied with a landing gear warning light, end quote. EA-401. Which, by the way, is episode three! And all of this harks to, and they actually use the term later, we'll talk about it, but any guess? <laughs> crew, resource, management. What do you know? C-R-N. They found that CRM was basically non-existent at Adam Air. Um, another question. I don't have any answers for you. That's my, that's the end of my note. Oh. I might be able to answer. Just continue. What was my question? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things, a lot of things that are in the findings weren't in the analysis. And I assume we're in section one. Probably. Why? Oh, I remember my question. Mm-hmm. So it said that the display on the first officer's side went out, mm-hmm. right? So why didn't the captain just take over and fly from there? Captain was flying. Captain was a pilot. Flying. So, so, so what, 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 what? Preoccupation. But he, I don't think they even noticed that his instrument panel went out. CRM. They were too involved in the problem going on up there. Autopilot disconnecting. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to deal with this. But so everything they did was just, yeah, 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 yeah. Shut up. I got to deal with this. It's all a consequence of this. Yes, it's all a consequence of that because you're not flying the freaking airplane and that's what's happening outside. The airplane's doing things it's not supposed to be doing. That's crazy. What? 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 <laughs> this is like the what? epitome of god awful CRM. Like the worst kind of CRM. Like and people didn't year- have to die kind of needed yep. CRM. And in the year 2007. 1972, I understand. Kind of. In 1972, they didn't have CRM. Yeah. And the captain was like, hey, we should focus on this. Hey, we should fix this. Hey, dude, can you get down there and fix it? This is 2007. Yeah. This is long after. CRM's been a thing. And this is only a two-person crew, too, so it's critical. I just don't understand how it took them so goddamn long to figure out what the hell was going on. It It was was a very slow roll to the right. Well, but by the time the bank angle went off... By the time you're sitting sideways in your seat? Yeah. No, I mean, that's before, right? 35 degrees is not, like, it's like, right? The fact that they passed 90 degrees astounds me. Yeah. Like, why, why it's bank angle, bank angle. Okay, all right, all right, okay, cool. Look at your instruments, figure it out. Why is it taking you 70 more degrees to figure it out? Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing that I, it's kind of hard to understand if you don't have like a model plane sitting in front of you. I was, yeah, just thinking the exact same thing. Miranda, can you please grab one? <laughs> it's fine. You don't have to. It's all right. It's, a, it's hard no, to get No, but it's, it's a good representation. Because when you think about it, they were trying to fix it, right? Very back left one. And I know you guys can't see this, but like, I don't know, make a plane with your hands or something. Okay. So roll to the right a hundred degrees. So you're a little past. You're almost inverted. And now pitch down 60 degrees. What happens when you try to pull up? Oh. You just keep going yeah. down. Yeah. So when they you were- have to fix the angle. Yeah. Which they weren't focusing on so much as the pulling up. That's what they were primarily focusing on. So they continued to gain speed. Right. And that was the main problem. Something we don't talk about in CRM, but before you're able to fix any kind of pitch, your primary focus should be fixing roll. But that's part of upset recovery training. Right. Guess what they that didn't they have. they didn't have. So you can do both at the same time if you're coordinated enough to do it, but always your primary thing before fixing pitch should be fixing roll because pitch, your, your body's not going to understand, your Virgo's going to be trying to take over. 
and it's not going to understand what to do with pitch if the airplane's not upright. Right. Because so, really, they should have like been pushing down? Right. So before you try to fix pitch, yes, they, they could push down, but the right thing to do really is to roll. roll back to the left and then pull up so that the airplane can recover. No, instead they gain speed until they broke themselves apart. Do yeah. we know how far they dropped in, until they lost control, did 35, we know that? 35,000 feet. I don't know how far well, until they yeah, until I they mean, were fully out of pitch. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we know how far, like, by the time they realized they needed to pull up, right? They were already way close to the ocean. Because all of this was pretty slow. And then the problem is, is that as they continued to pull up, it just basically put them into a spiral. Right. A big spiral. Because they were moving very, very quickly. They have the FDR grass. Let me take I figured that it would be on the FDR. And the thump, thump that was heard was because they were pulling so many Gs and the airplane was well beyond its overspeed that it began to structurally fail. Right. And at that point... That I got. At that point, they can't do anything about it, so... Like, where, like, physically were they Mm -hmm. to the ocean-wise? Yeah. Like, how much, how many feet did they drop? Right. The Boeing Quick Reference Handbook Maneuvers, Non-Normal Maneuvers, Nose Low Recovery says roll in the shortest direction to wings level first. Yep. So if that means inverting the plane, does that mean you invert the plane? Maybe, but as long as you get to wings level, it's going to be easier <laughs> to figure out pitch from there. Because otherwise pitch isn't going to do the right thing. You can also use yaw, but that's not going to do the right thing either. Either way. They attempted to arrest their descent at about 20,000 feet. So they still had some time. Yeah, but they were doing it too quickly, and they didn't understand what role they were in. I was just trying to figure out if they had time to, and they you said that they did, but... Kind of. Trying to figure out, well, yeah. they said, Boeing said they did. Yes, yeah. Yes, it could have been done. It wouldn't have been pretty, but it right. could have been done. Had they been upset recovery trained, yes, they could have. Yeah. They could have rolled out and then pulled up. Their maximum rate of descent was 53,760 feet per minute. Oh... That's one of the highest ones we've talked about. I would hope that those people would black out from the G-forces before anything happened. One would hope, but that might not be enough. The max that it ever said on there was like three and a half Gs in one direction. Can you imagine? Oof. Which three and a half Gs is, it, it's, don't get me wrong, most humans don't know what three and a half Gs feel like. You don't usually yeah. experience more than two. Yeah. As That's a like human. In any case. Yeah. You know, I mean, instantaneous G's, which is really. Oh, hold on. I was looking at the wrong thing. Oh, this graph is poorly done. Okay. They put multiple things on the Y axis that they shouldn't have because there's different values. And this was freaking stupid. Stupid chart. Five per moving average. That's what I was reading. No, they had more like 10,000 feet. Oh, never mind. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. 10,000 feet is still a lot of altitude, but it's not But a it's lot. not much when you're falling out of the sky at such a high rate of speed. Yeah. That's only a few seconds. And all of that, I mean, like I said, most humans won't experience more than two Gs in anything they do, whether it be roller coasters or anything. I mean, instantaneous, what's the, uh, what's the term for that? The instantaneous change? Jerk. Jerk. Thank you. That. Jerk, you'll experience more than yeah, change, that set of Gs. It's so... Change in position over time is velocity. Change right. in velocity over time is acceleration. Right. Change in acceleration over time is jerk. And right. really doesn't have technically a whole lot of value in the applied mathematics and physics world. Correct. Because until it, you get a, a drink car, galley cart in the ceiling and then you're like, oh, that's what jerk is. Right. Things like that. Or a car accident, for example. Okay. Now you change direction suddenly. 
that is change in direction is technically acceleration. Yes, but you're still going to experience G's. Yes. And in that case, you're going to experience more than two G's, but it's only in jerk. It's only instantaneous. It's not in over time. Whereas they were pulling three G's, three and a half G's on kind then, of a continuous basis. And then the FDR recorded a, a abrupt change to negative 2.8. Right, which is a lot. That's a big change. That's jerk. That that was the aircraft ripping apart. Yes, it yes. was. And so it's hard to explain, but three and a half G's will feel like a lot to most humans, but it's definitely not enough to black out. You need nine, eight. And honestly, um, it can happen as early as seven, depending on blood pressure. What's, what's, her, what's, her, <laughs> what's her biscuit? Emily Calandrelli is a famous... American woman engineer, and mm-hmm. she went up with the Blue Angels recently, mm-hmm. and she had a GoPro on her the whole time. She passed out at seven Gs. Yes, it can happen. She also Absolutely threw up. Can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, <laughs> they they put a bag right here in front of you. Yeah, just in case you throw up. No, for when you throw up. Oh, that's yeah. nice. It happens a lot. She was like, "I'm not gonna throw up." She put a whole TikTok like, "I'm not gonna throw up. I got this." Do you re- shows the video up. of her throwing? Do you remember when Adam Savage did the same thing? He flew with the Blue Knights, and he did exactly the same thing. The Blue thing. Angels? Or the Blue Angels, sorry. He flew with the Blue Angels, and he did exactly the same thing on <laughs> Mythbusters. I know. It's all force of habit. He flew. He flew. Force of habit. Those, those of you who don't know who the Blue Knights are, they're the drum corps yeah, that's yeah, yeah, based yeah, yeah. in Denver. Force of habit. Just see someone, like, pretending to be an airplane. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> all right, we need, we're going to take a break. We are going to take a break. And we'll be back with all the normal stuff. Yep. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay, we're back. So... This one actually does have all the regular things. Unlike the last several reports we've had. Yeah. But actually, to me, it has too much. And that's okay. The, the Wine, piss, moan, and complain. I know. The Just findings, kidding. I definitely already complained. Yes. The <laughs> Just kidding. Findings or uh, uh, what do they call it in this case? The conclusions. Conclusions. Though they do have it listed as findings. They have conclusions, findings, operations, related issues. Okay. Findings. There's a handful. I don't do all of them, but we'll go through some of them. They found that the pilots were faced with an inertial reference system, or IRS, malfunction, which, with crew action, rendered the number two, or right EADI, inoperative. That is the first officer's display. Display, yeah. Inoperative. The left, or the pilot in commands, the captain's EADI, and the standby ADI, for attitude and direction indication. The were, analog one. Yep. Were available before and after the autopilot disengaged. So there's no reason they couldn't have flown the airplane normally. They had all the indications and everything. They could have continued to fly the airplane with the captains and the backup indications and monitors. But what happened on the flight was that they just realized that everything seemed wrong. And they assumed that the indications were wrong. Wrong, yeah. Because of the IRS. That's not how that works. No. Did they have... Okay. I, I, I realize we already talked about training, right? But did mm-hmm. they understand how some of those warnings work? No. They did. I shouldn't say that. They did. 
They know what the warnings are. They just didn't trust him because they didn't trust the instruments because they thought the system that was driving the instruments was wrong. But that's not so they what's thought, driving the instruments, right? To some it extent. Is. To some extent. But it is. And So when we've talked about the inertial reference system or the inertial navigation system in the past, we've talked about how it can drive the artificial horizon on each side, and then there's a standby in the middle mm-hmm. that is not related to them. Right. That's why the standby exists, in case there's an issue with IRS-1 and IRS-2. Right. So if there was just an issue with one, why not just use the other one? Bruh, don't even get me started. So I mean, clearly this plane had issues with that anyway. Well, and so now, now the only instrument panel that's up and running is the captain's side. Right. But we know that they've been having issues on this plane with the number one IRS. So they don't trust that either. Why don't they think to look at the standby? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's another one. Like, they have backups on backups now. They're not trusting any of them. They found that the pilots did not have sufficient knowledge of the aircraft system to quickly and appropriately troubleshoot the IRS problem they were facing. Their actions to rectify the problem resulted in a, a number of decision errors. No, really. Nah. What? They found that the pilots consulted the appropriate section of the aircraft's QRH, or wow. handbook, to attempt to resolve the IRS malfunction. However, they did not maintain straight and level constant airspeed flight which after is... the IRS mode selector was switched to attitude in accordance with the QRH, which then disconnected the autopilot. And then ignored the autopilot. I, right. The alarm on the autopilot is there for a reason, and it's meant to be loud and obnoxious. You're like, hey, hmm, maybe I should do something about that. Right. Along with the several other warnings that happened after that. Okay, but that one was like first primary and was the first to be silenced. And it should have been the sign that when everything else started to go wrong, the autopilot is actually disconnected and you're not flying the airplane. Again, Monday morning quarterback, we we don't, can't even get into it. Found that the pilot selected the attitude in the IRS, which disengaged the autopilot. After the autopilot disengaged and the aircraft rolled right and exceeded 35 degrees right bank, the pilots appeared to have become spatially disoriented. Basically, they say that because they ignored the warnings. And everything else? Yes. They found that the pilot in command, or the captain, did not manage the task sharing. Crew resource management practices were not followed. C-R-M! The pilot in command had not completed CRM recurrent training since joining Adam Air as required. So why the hell is he even flying? The the first officer's (laughs) recurrent CRM training was not due until the 4th of May 2007. But clearly, they both weren't paying clearly attention Clearly was to it. deficient. Yes, overall. They found that both pilots became engrossed with troubleshooting inertial reference system IRS anomalies for at least the last 13 minutes of the flight with minimum regard to other flight requirements, i.e. fly the airplane. They found that from, and these are in UTC time, 6.58.40, so 6 a.m., 58 minutes and 40 seconds, which is actually 2 p.m., 58 minutes and 40 seconds, With a right bank angle of 100 degrees and approaching 60 degrees nose down, the pilots realized their critical situation and attempted to... Yeah, then they figured it out. Right, and attempted to affect recovery by using inappropriate control inputs. Maybe if they had training, though. Right. I.e. pitch up toward the ground. Yeah. They found that a significant aerodynamic structural failure occurred at the time of the G-force reversal, the time of the recording of the thump-thump sound. That's why I kept saying it, because it's literally what they wrote in here. The thump-thump sound on the CVR was verified by spectrum analysis and determined to be typical of a structural failure. Yeah. Quite literally, the airplane falling apart. It, it went thump-thump and then boom. Yep. 
They found that the Atomair syllabus of training did not cover complete or partial IRS failure training, so they had no idea what to do when it happened. Surprise. Shock. Shock. Me, them, no. No, what? What? They found that there was no evidence that the pilots received training covering unexpected autopilot disengaging, and the knowledge and skills required for manual handling and using the standby instruments in the event of an IRS failure. So, step one to unexpected autopilot disengagement. Beep, beep, beep. Oh, shit, what's that? And then fly the airplane and pay attention to the instruments, which they weren't trained to do. Or re-engage the autopilot. I don't know how much more training you need other than beep, beep, beep. Requires the IRS to be switched back to altitude mode than attitude, but... And nav yeah, mode. but even if or they didn't know that, or undo it, what you just did, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's what mm-hmm. I was gonna say. I'm like, why don't you just or undo it? Just fly the airplane. Just saying. Just saying. Let the first officer do the diagnosing while the captain flies the airplane, as is CRM. Oh wait, we're not trained in that, right? They found that at the time of the accident, Adam Air did not provide their pilots with IRS malfunction corrective action training in the simulator, nor did they provide aircraft upset recovery training or proficiency checks. The upset recovery training is the biggest one there. The IRS training should happen, and the proficiency checks obviously need to happen. Uh, It needs to happen in both training or proficiency. But the aircraft upset recovery is massive, because if anything goes wrong, anything at all, this included, obviously, Understanding the state of the aircraft and fixing it is a very important thing to know how to do. Very important. They found that at the time of the accident, the Atom Air organization structure included a flight standard manager, but his listed duties did not include responsibility for the aircraft operations manual. What? Why that comes up is because they found that the operations manual in the aircraft which runs through how to handle things like the IRS failure and upset recovery and things like that. Did not match the Boeing manual? Correct, and was deficient. And they found that that was because the person in charge of flight ops is apparently not in charge of the flight ops manuals for the airplanes, something that no other airline on Earth does. When it comes to maintenance and engineering, this gets heavy, they found that the technical log of the pilot's reports and... Papa Kilo 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 Whiskey maintenance records showed that between October and December 2006, there were 154 recurring defects directly and indirectly related to the aircraft's IRS, mostly the left number one system. This time, obviously, it was the right. But no matter what... No, not necessarily. They just turned the number two system to attitude. Right. But still. They don't... They. I don't think they recovered the IRSs to determine what the issue was, what was happening. Right. They found that there was no evidence that the airline's maintenance organization was troubleshooting IRS anomalies throughout the IRS system in accordance with the 737 aircraft maintenance manual, other than re-racking and swapping IRU positions and associated components, resetting circuit breakers, and cleaning connections when the faults became repetitive. They weren't keeping logs on how often this was recurring, and they weren't doing anything actually proactive about it. They were just doing quote-unquote preventative they weren't even doing reactive things. They weren't doing the proper maintenance to no. fix the problem. They were They're just like, pulling the part out, cleaning contacts, and putting it back, basically. So, so. If it's a con- con- inconsistent issue, as we've covered in the last, what, several episodes, you should probably just take out the system and replace it! <laughs> Talk about it. This comes up in the recommendations. And if and that actually, doesn't work, keep replacing things until it works. Yeah. They actually did a nice detailed recommendation on this, but we'll talk about it. They found that the DFDR, Digital Flight Data Recorder, data showed residual ground speed errors in conjunction with the pilot report. 
which should have warranted IRU replacement. They should have just replaced the whole unit. Yeah. That's what that means. Other findings. Found that fleet-wide recurring IRS IRU defects were still occurring as recent as November 2007. So by the time this report came out, basically. Engineering supervision and oversight changes that were put in place after the accident to resolve the recurring problems have not been effective. It's okay. They went poof goodbye in 2008. Yeah. Adam Air didn't last much longer. They didn't even last halfway through 08. Mm-mm. And that's all I've got for findings. Okay. The causes. Yep. As per usual in an Indonesian report. Yes. The cause and other causal factor numbers in this chapter do not denote a level of importance. Good to know. <laughs> that was the footnote. Yeah. I don't really know what they mean by that, but okay. It's not saying this is more important than this is more important than this. It's not right. the reason for the. It's order. just saying they're, they're just, this they're is just what there. They're yeah. just listed. They're not really in any particular order. Yeah. Flight crew coordination was less than effective. The pilot in command did not manage the task sharing. Crew resource management practices were not followed. Thank you. Thank you. The crew focused their attention on troubleshooting the inertial reference system IRS failure, and neither pilot was flying the aircraft. After the autopilot disengaged and the aircraft exceeded 30 degrees right bank, the pilots appeared to have become spatially disoriented. Yes. The Adam Air syllabus of pilot training did not cover complete or partial IRS failure. The pilots had not received training in aircraft upset recovery, including spatial disorientation. Other causal factors. At the time of the accident, Adam Air had not resolved the airworthiness problems with the IRS that had been reoccurring on their Boeing 737 fleet for more than three months. The Adam Air maintenance, engineering, supervision, and oversight was not effective and did not ensure that repetitive defects were rectified. So by the time the report came out, those two things highlighting the fact that they still haven't fixed the biggest problem of them all. I shouldn't say that. Really, the biggest problem is the pilot training. Yes. But... The, th that takes time. Pilot it, training takes time. Replacing parts you can do overnight. Yeah. The, if they had just replaced the part, this wouldn't have even happened. And what this was saying is they didn't even do that. It was not working for them. And hence, Adam Air went under. So. Well, and it also just shows, like, the littlest thing can cause the biggest accident. Yeah. Right? Like. The the nut the yes. on the windscreen from <laughs> yes. the flight where the captain got sucked out of the windshield. Like, yep. That small little part. The washer the, on China Airlines Flight 120. Exactly. Yes. The tiniest little maintenance thing yep. that doesn't get fixed and you keep pushing it off and it's like, oh no, is it should be okay. Deferring maintenance over and over and over yep. eventually will cause some sort of human error. Hey guys, guess what? A month and a half after that accident. Yeah, there's another oh, one. God. Is it the, like the same cause? No. There's a hard oh. landing and the airplane bent in half. The incident caused the fuselage of the plane to crack and bend at the middle with the tail of the plane drooping towards the ground. Have you seen the picture? No. Go look for the picture. I actually think it's on the Wikipedia page for this. What? Oh! Hence, the airline no longer exists. No, 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 no. That's not even the last one. I know. On March 10th, 2008. Mm-hmm. Probably right before they went under. Yes. This is why they went under. Um, it was three months before they went under. Yeah, so basically it's why they went under. An Adam Air Boeing 737-400 aircraft flying from Jakarta to Batam with the registration Papa Kilo 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 Tango skidded 75 meters off the end of the runway while landing. Cool. All passengers survived. Two passengers were treated for shock. The plane sustained damage to one wing and was later written off. And when you've had three accidents in a year... It's time to shut down. The accident contributed to the airline's demise eight days later. 
Yeah, see? And the formal revocation of the AOC three months later. As it should have been done after the first incident. Yeah. <laughs> first accident. <laughs> the incident also illustrates that crew were not correctly trained on evacuation procedures. In particular, during the evacuation of this aircraft, no slides were deployed. What? Hold on, what? How does that even happen? How did anyone get off the plane? Did they just jump? Probably. I mean, the 737 is pretty close to the ground. Yeah, but you could still end up pretty injured. Yeah, you can break an ankle. You can break a leg. Standing next to 737s regularly, I can tell you that that door is still way higher than I want to jump from. (laughs) It's a good probably 20 feet off the ground. Eh, not 20 feet, but I mean, you're talking at least 12 feet, 10, 12 feet off the ground, which is further than I want to jump. You could jump off the back Especially of the when you're laps. being pushed by other lower. people. Especially when you're being pushed by other people. In any case. No thanks. Great track record in the course of a year. Yeah. A year and two months. Sorry, I can math. Okay. Okay. So there are safety actions and recommendations on this report. Huzzah. Huzzah. Did it do any good? Nope. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say no because a lot of what they recommended and what changed wasn't just about Adamair, it was about Indonesia. Yeah. That still took a while. Yes, unfortunately, but it was much needed. So, before this report came out, and this is where the safety actions really come into play, there was actually, there's a lot of these, but the most important one I'm going to highlight, the only one I'm really going to talk about, was the Directorate General Civil Aviation... DGAC. The DGCA. Sorry. It's listed in the report. Created a circular. And this circular was really paramount to changing some of the downfalls in the in- Indonesian aviation industry. So I'm just going to read this from the report. This is as it reads. The DGCA circular stated that it is mandatory for every operation and maintenance directorate within each air operator certificate, or AOC, holder to conduct the following as soon as possible. A. To acquire and possess current updated versions of all aircraft and manufacturers' manuals for their fleet, including aircraft flight manuals, flight crew operation manuals, and the flight crew training manual, those aforementioned manuals shall be distributed to flight crews within each operator upon availability of them. Okay, so here's the problem I have with that. Yes? As soon as possible. You need a deadline. As urgent as you make that sound. You need to have it actually set as a deadline. You need to say, by such and such date, this needs to happen. Because otherwise, as soon as possible or as soon as practicable is so open. Subjective. And yeah. yeah. Yes. You have to have with a, yeah, a deadline. As, as soon as possible deadline. for us is in like two years. Right. You need to have a complied with deadline. B. To conduct FMS training, IRS FMS, in an approved. No, that's flight management system. Actually, in this case, it's full motion simulator training. Oh. There's too many damn acronyms in this damn industry. Right. To conduct FMS training in an approved FMS trainer. Full motion simulator trainer. You know where you can find a lot of those? Here. Denver. Look it up. The biggest in the world. And there's multiple of them, actually. There's legit one, like, ten minutes away from my job. And it's the biggest one in the world. And it was there for when Stapleton was an airport, because I work right by where Stapleton used to be. Yep. And uh, I sometimes have to drive by it to get to work. Yep. And I'll look over and I'll see people with suitcases. C. There's a lot of these, so I got to keep moving. 
To evaluate differences training matrix regarding different series within a type of aircraft operated by the operator. So actually doing differences training when there are multiple types of the same aircraft. So a 737, 300, 400, 500, understanding the differences. Because when you get your type rating, you can fly any of them, right? Or do you have to get type rated by model? If you're type rated for the classic series... Any of the classic series, you're type rated for all the classic series. So 300, 400, 500, you can fly them. It's same, actually the same with thing. NG and yep. same with Max? Yep. Yep. You do have to understand what the difference is between each one of them, but all that's really different. There's there's not a lot of differences when you fly them, but generally weight and balance is your primary difference. However, that said, for example, in the NG series of 737s, between the 700 and the 900, there is actually a pretty vast difference in performance not just because of weight and size, but actually the wings are different. And because of that, the 900 actually requires more time to slow down. The airplane just likes to fly. It's a slippery airplane. Slip slidey. Slip slidey. So it actually handles a little different. And it's understanding those differences. It's important. The systems are going to be generally the same, if not exactly the same, depending on the carrier. D. To conduct failure training related to automatic flight systems i.e. the IRS. Again, not the one that takes your money. No. But understanding what happens when they fail, the automated systems fail. E, to conduct recurrent training for all flight crews in a form of classroom training and loft or line-oriented flight training for a minimum of once a year. So (laughs) that just to me seems like, duh. (laughs) Duh. Recurrent training for pilots once a year? Yeah. You don't say... And line checks, yeah, yeah. So F. I know pilots get paid by the hour that the engines are on. How do do they get paid by training hour? Mm-hmm. Okay, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. There's different stipends and things. It's a, it's a very complicated thing, but yes, absolutely. F to immediately conduct training for aircraft maintenance engineers related to troubleshooting of all aircraft navigational systems operated by each operator. So understanding each one of the navigational systems and how to troubleshoot and fix the problems, not just keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. That's called insanity. That is called insanity. G, corrective action taken against complaints from flight crews or rectification of any technical problems shall be performed in accordance with any updated maintenance manual. So actually use the maintenance manuals to actually fix the problem. Yes. H, To ensure that any authorized aircraft maintenance engineer performing troubleshooting is well-trained and qualified. Not sure if that was identified as a massive problem, but clearly they were having a problem with actually replacing the parts. It's not necessarily that they couldn't do the work, but they weren't satisfactorily fixing the problem. No, they weren't. They were putting band-aids on it and expecting it to be fixed. Right. And that's not how that works. Which means they should be trained better to identify when something is a recurrent problem, especially in an airline like Atomair, which didn't have very many airplanes or flights, and therefore could pretty easily identify when something is recurring on an airplane. Right. When you start talking about fleet sizes of 800 plus airplanes, yeah, it's going to be hard to keep track of unless... Southwest. Right, or United or American. Atomair only had a fleet size of 37. Right. That seems like that should be pretty reasonable to know when something is recurring on an exact airplane. And they had almost all just 737s. Mm-hmm. They only had one Airbus, and it was leased. 
They had an A300 leased yeah. from Air Paradise International. And I'm sure they did nothing with it. They used it for one year. Great. So probably nothing. Anyways, when you start talking about large fleet sizes, there are very automated systems, and even smaller airlines use these, of course, because it's the right thing to do. But there are now automated systems that track what maintenance is performed on an aircraft, and it's very scrutinized. And pretty much every major airline and even minor airline on the planet has these now. Because it just makes life so much easier. You track the recurrence of problems, and if it, it flags problems that have been recurring multiple times within a certain time period, and then it tells you what to do, how to fix it, things like that. So the systems are automated. It doesn't rely on a maintenance department to keep like going back through records and looking. It already doesn't. Just smart, right? You would think. Mm-hmm. I initiate maintenance review boards, MRB, for any repetitive trouble, especially trouble on navigational systems. The reviews shall be performed thoroughly to obtain an effective follow-up corrective action, thus avoiding any future repetitive trouble. Okay, great. I don't think that was worded very well, but all that to say kind of exactly what I just talked about, where something that's recurring, and they're talking in specific to navigational systems, but if something is recurring as a problem, identifying it and putting a corrective action plan in place to fix it. J, to limit repetitive trouble on navigational systems for a maximum of two times within each 30 days and to record it immediately in hold item list, deferred maintenance item, and perform rectification without any further delay. You mean not 50 times? That is what I think is the most important part out of this entire circular because they actually identified a number of times in a deadline. Two times in 30 days. Yep. Any more than that, and you have to replace it, basically. And that's it. That's, that's as simple as that, that should be. Okay. To ensure that each subcontracted maintenance organization authorized by operators to conduct maintenance and rectification for IRS FMS systems is holding a valid DGCA AMO certificate and capable to perform such required maintenance and rectification for IRS FMS systems. So making sure that even if you're using a third party, they can actually do the work too. Now, there were a series of other safety actions taken, and there is like four more pages of it that I'm not going to go through. There are many interesting things that they came to fixing, and they also brought up some old recommendations that were actioned because of this accident, finally. Things that were changed about air traffic control systems in the country of Indonesia, things that were changed about procedures within maintenance at different airlines, things that were changed about pilot training because they needed to. Now that said, there is a recommendation section, and it's also very large, actually. Better part of like seven pages, which I haven't ever quite seen that many in a long time. But we're not going to go through a lot of them, actually. We're going to go through some of the really important ones because most of these are identifying and recommending fixes to smaller problems, we'll say. Things unrelated to what actually happened in this accident. What was actually critical in this accident. They recommend to the DGCA that the National Transportation Safety Committee, NTSC, recommends that the Directorate General of Aviation, Civil Aviation, sorry, urgently determine the airworthiness status of the IRS system, the Inertial Reference System, in the Indonesian Boeing 737 fleet to ensure that IRS defects are not recurring this should include but not limited to A, ensuring that Indonesian Airlines maintenance organizations have appropriate procedures to ensure the serviceability of completed IRS systems, 
and B, ensuring that Indonesian Airlines maintenance engineers are appropriately trained and qualified to troubleshoot IRS defects throughout the IRS system, other than simply changing the inertial reference unit, or IRU, and associated components and cleaning connectors. So... Do more than just the bare minimum? Do more than just the bare minimum, but identify if there's a recurring problem in the industry as a whole in Indonesia? Well, I feel like when you've had over 50 pilot reports in the course of... 150? Yes. Well, like 50 in a month over a course of three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe something's wrong and you should fix it. might be time to do something about this. Yeah, we should do something about this. And further to that, they're saying, you know, if it's occurring at other airlines, that it should also be fixed there, because obviously if it's happening at one, then it could be happening at another and if anywhere, Garuda. Garuda. Yeah, Garuda. And if anywhere, at you. and if anywhere, I feel like it would be Indonesia in the early 2000s. Similarly, recommended to Adamair and other Indonesian airlines operating the Boeing 737. I'm going to read this out, but it's basically the same thing. The NTSC recommends that Adam Sky Connection Airline, because that is what it's actually called, and this is when I waited to bring this up, but that's what the airline's actually called, Adam Sky Connection Airlines and other Indonesian airlines operating Boeing 737 aircraft urgently determine the airworthiness status of the IRS, or inertial reference system, in their Boeing 737 fleet to ensure that the IRS defects are not recurring. Garuda. Mm-hmm. We're looking at you, Garuda. And then they include the same two points that they had to the EGCA. Skipping a bunch. I'm only going to do one more, because it really is kind of the important thing, too, when it comes to this. The NTSC recommends that Adam Air should review the effectiveness of its training for cockpit crews specifically related to crew resource management, safety-critical systems, and the appropriate use of standard operating procedures, including the QRH, or Quick Reference Handbook. Here's what I suggest. Your entire training program, throw it in the trash. They got to. You know why? <laughs> because the airline doesn't exist anymore. Throw it in the trash. Start da, da, da. That's pretty much what they recommended. They pretty much said... You gotta start over. This isn't working. And Adam Air never even got the chance. Because they weren't very proactive anyways, and then they had two more incidents, and they were done. So you know how I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. I looked at the screen. I'm still on the Adam Air screen. Mm-hmm. Prior to its demise, mm-hmm. the company was in serious financial trouble. The no, company's really. owner had been allegedly embezzling the company's money. Cool! What? Awesome! The financial losses from the embezzlement reportedly amounted to approximately 210 million U.S. dollars. What? <laughs> oh my God! No wonder they were horrible. But I'm wondering where one even gets that much money because, to be honest, an airline like this never really gets that profitable. Well, especially when they're embezzling two over two hundred. Well, yeah, and then you wonder why there's no money to let don't know fix problems. Damn. Yeah. On August 12, 2008, she, Sandra Eng was uh, arrested and banned from leaving the country. As she oh, should be. Oh, boy. Um, so there's, there's the result of my ADHD. I just glanced over to read that paragraph. Adam Air was not great. We'll leave it at that. Adam Air had some serious problems. I, I don't know. They, it continues not to be, but they don't exist anymore. Yeah, no. They don't exist anymore, nor should they. I'm glad they don't, quite frankly. That, that airline wasn't good for anybody. It wasn't. Okay. It was a very short-lived airline, too. I mean, you have to remember, all their 737-400s were definitely gotten secondhand, and they all looked like they were f- garbage. They were founded in 02. Yeah, they were. that's short-lived. <laughs> they barely even operated, basically. They operated for a few years, and it was not good. 
is not good to them. Nope. No es bueno. Okay. Well, that was Adam Air Flight 574. Yeah, that. <laughs> Christy was feeding me the numbers. Yes. <laughs> always forget the flight number. Yep. Thank you so much for listening. You should do uh, the best thing and go on Patreon and give us money. (laughs) (laughs) Or you could also do the other best thing and just share us with people and get the No, that's really the best thing, actually. Yeah, it actually is. Anything to expand the listeners. Which you guys have been doing a solid job at. Congratulations. You've been doing a really good job at spreading We almost have 300,000 listens. Oh, crap. And the first episode almost has 3,000. just waiting for us to cross that million mark and just fathoming that is hard but that's a long way away it not really. may or may not be you it, never know we're only at almost three hundred thousand. i know that's seven hundred thousand. it's, it's more. exponential and now if whenever we, anyone finds us they have to go listen to 200 episodes we put a few things well in, they don't have to but. No, but they probably will if we put a few things in place that could change yeah that could change pretty quickly thanks so much for listening we really do appreciate it like, being a patron is definitely a solid way to support us, but like we said, getting the word out. Also, rating us on Spotify and yes. Apple Podcasts and things also helps people find us. That's how you can passively do it. Yeah. Go sport our merch while yeah. you're traveling about the world. And- you can do the thing that Kaylin C. does, and she just wears all of our stuff everywhere. She now has gauges with our logo in yeah. them. And we didn't sell her those. She got those made. Mm-hmm. And she bought Paige a set too. Yeah, because so. Paige is the best. Yeah. And Paige deserves everything. Yeah, so now we got two peeps rocking our gauges, apparently. <laughs> yep. Everywhere they go. And we got a bunch of stuff too. So. Mm-hmm. And I see, I mean, I see it on other people too. I mean, I've seen it on people we've met with, people we know that buy merch. Yeah. Primarily Kaylin, but also I've seen it on like when we visited some of our patrons. Yeah. And when we meet them on Zoom. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. We do appreciate it. We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by The Lovely Page. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.